Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to WebRush. We're on episode 126. And this week's special episode, we're going to talk about reactivity and state management. Uh, we're also going to sprinkle in a little bit of mentoring. And our special guest this week is Kate Skye. But before we get to our guest, we've got Ward Bell and Craig Shoemaker, my indomitable co-host. How are you both doing today? Feeling very indomitable, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm as <laughs> I'm indomitable glad you brought as that I'll up. ever be. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I said that big word and Ward got impressed all of a sudden. because I, 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 I don't think I, Ward thinks I knew more than two syllable words, did you? <laughs> Ward is our resident... Um, I, I might go to say you are a genius, aren't you, Ward? No, 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 no. Or are you just word very bomber. well read? Word bomber. A word bomber. Okay. <laughs> I mean, seriously, folks, every time I talk to Ward, I feel like I learn, I do learn something, but I feel like I learned something that I didn't even know I needed to know. Uh, he just <laughs> drops some really good knowledge on folks, which is why he's such a good co-host. So, uh, And Craig, I have to say something about you. I totally screwed you up today. Is that right? When we were talking about, we were trying to look for the word benevolent. Oh my gosh. And we could not remember this word benevolent, no matter what we did. <laughs> you just plant, you plant like the wrong word in someone's brain and it's just like a hurdle I could not get past. It just wasn't uh, I think it I wasn't out came beneficial out of my mouth. Yeah, something like that. And then like neither that. one of us could remember the name benevolent. And <laughs> at the end of that, we couldn't remember why we were talking about it in the first place. I just so. sat in a corner and cried after that because there was just nothing else to do after that's usually the effect that I have on people. So that's that's good to hear. So hopefully that's not the effect we have today on our audience as they listen in. <laughs> and with that, Kate, thank you for uh, coming to our show. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Uh, yeah, when I hear benevolent, sounds like Maleficent to me. <laughs> Maleficent, <laughs> For some right. reason, I don't know why. <laughs> My brain goes there too. I like that, the Disney reference. Let's go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's exactly why I thought about it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to uh, talk to you guys and uh, um, and to meet you and discuss NGRX and other stuff. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And for those of you out there who want to get to know a little more about Kate, let me tell you something about her. Kate Sky is a software developer with over 25 years of experience. She's a full-stack developer with a passion for Angular. She's a mother of five and an avid believer that it's the best time to be a woman in tech. So welcome onto the show again, Kate. And you've also got quite a passion around the mentoring side of things, don't you? Uh, yes. Actually, I've been thinking about mentoring for a long time. And um, I've, uh, maybe I've helped at least one person to um, push through and get their first job in uh, programming. But then my two nieces kind of followed my um my path and they became computer science students. And I just like, okay, if I'm going to help two more people, it's going to be good enough for me. So uh, that's kind of where um, my journey started. And I think I'm still in the beginning of that journey because uh, I did have uh, someone mentor me. And I think it wasn't, it, it was kind of late in my game, but I wish um, uh, to kind of give back, if not start something new, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. In in when you were mentored, what um, what do you remember most about it? What was most helpful? Well, um, 
my mentoring happened already on the job, not in, in the beginning of when I started, but what what helped me the most was just letting me know that I can learn this. This is not hard because usually what we hear is it's too hard. You can't do this. It's, you have to be a mathematician or something like that. But uh, just learning how to be a good programmer and telling me that, no, it's not that hard. You can just like read this book, follow this patterns, you know, learn from this guy, go here, go there. And that's kind of what helped me just to believe in myself that I can do it. I think there's a lot of people who come in through that route. Um, and, and maybe more than we realize. That that was certainly my case. I, I didn't go to school for uh, development at all. So, and I've been able to pay the bills for at least two months, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mentoring is such an interesting topic too, because you could, you mentioned you could get it on the job, but I often wonder how, what do you do as a mentor? Like not so much, what do you do as the mentee? But if you're going to look to mentor somebody, how do you, how do you go about doing that? Like, how do you set it up? How do you get to know people? How do you put yourself out there? Um, so many questions. Yeah, these, these are all of the questions that I kind of have to answer to myself because, uh, like I said, I'm kind of in the beginning of this journey where I'm uh, mentoring my nieces and kind of uh, other people started asking me questions. And I think um, um, it's all... You know, it, it's it's a learning process for me as well. But I think, um, you know, it's a it's a first step in the in the long road of of getting there. I don't know if I'm gonna ever get there, and I'm gonna be like, oh, I'm a mentor now. It's just like if I can help to answer one question, I'm there. But I think um, a lot of mentoring uh, is associated with teaching somebody like a framework, right? Or teaching them how to code, which is so, it's like so abundant on the internet right now. You can, you know, you can take courses, you can learn from top experts, but actually carving out a career path is so hard because like, I remember seven or five years into my career, I'm like, what is next? Like, how do I make more money? And it's almost like a taboo to ask that. It's, uh, it's all like, cause we hear about like, I'm passionate about programming, you know, I'm passionate about technology, which is fine. And a lot of people are teaching from that point of view, but mentoring is, is almost, it's something else. It's like, what, what is next for me? Like in my career, what, do, what do I want to do? And it's in the, that knowledge is limited. It's like, is it management? Do I want to be an architect? Is it like, what is it? Like some people don't even know, you know, being in a career for 20 years. Like they just don't know that they're at one job or maybe they're in five jobs, but they don't really know what that next step is. So if someone was facing that kind of crossroads, what sort of questions would you ask them or how would you help lead them down the path to figure out what's right for them? I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I I think some of it has to do with uh, how much time you want to spend writing code versus managing people. Uh, how much time you want to think about the broader picture in architecture. It, it is, I think, um, the path of going into management and the path of going to, the, to being an architect are, are, are kind of like in the, in the air, right, For in our, in our sector. People usually go like, okay, so I'm a senior developer now. I can probably be a lead. And what are all of the things associated with it? Because I've seen people going to be leads and then resigning, because they cannot handle the stress of, you know, of dealing with junior developers or whatnot. 
I also have seen architects who, who are going on this road where like, I don't code anymore. And that creates another, all kinds of other obstacles in their career because they come in on the project and they're expected to write code. And all of a sudden they haven't been writing code for, for a couple of years because they've been architecting. And the same thing with management is that you think you can manage, but once you get into it, you realize you're so far away from uh, writing code and being a technologist that you're, you're just, you know, you're a meeting person, you're attending meetings and you're managing budgets. So where is your passion? Because for me, like, I love writing code and I like to be into new technologies. And if you look at t- uh, through all of the technologies that I've been through through my career, it's apparent that, it, you know, I like to take on new challenges and I like to solve problems. And that that's not necessary that I want to go into management, you know, and manage people versus going and learning something new and solving problems and writing software. So it depends on what person is really into. Because if you're into management from the very beginning, you probably want to, you know, take a different career path than, you know, being into programming. But sometimes people start there, which is fine too. So when you first were mentoring, you said it was your nieces, correct? Your two nieces? I had mentored a couple other people before my nieces got into computer science. Yeah, and it's, I think it's cool that you mentioned mentoring, uh, men, mentoring, <laughs> mentoring <laughs> your your nieces because and when you're dealing with family, sometimes I don't know about you, but sometimes when I deal with my family, I, I uh, big family person of a big Italian family, and we don't always treat each other the way we should. Uh, so I, you know, like I'm teaching my my uh, my daughter or my cousin or my father how to use something and. Uh, I always have to remember what was it like when I didn't know this thing, you know, cause that, that's what they're going through. And, you know, you're trying to teach somebody how to do coding, for example, your nieces, they don't know what you know. Uh, they're going through uh, maybe a similar, but maybe slightly different journey that you went through. Uh, I'm kind of curious if you have any tips for people on when you're first teaching somebody who doesn't know these things, like how do you, how do you approach it with them? Like, what did you do differently than you, might have you just told somebody at one of your colleagues? It, actually, a good question because I've actually encountered that is uh, when a person comes in and they're like, okay, so I'm, I've been taking these courses. I've learned, let's say, JavaScript and I learned HTML and I did CSS and I have this other, um, you know, and I have a, a website I wrote with my, you know, with my work and I'm looking for a job, but I don't really know um, like what? What else should I learn? What else should I learn? There's so many things. There's like this backend stuff and this database. Like, what should I do? And um, what I'm telling right now, like sometimes I would, uh, sometimes ago I would tell people like, oh yeah, just you know read a, read something, take a course on that, but don't go too, too deep. Right now I'm just saying, don't even go there. Right, all of the questions that you have about this technology, and just have a very top level understanding of that. But dig, dig really deep into one thing. Like get really good at this one thing. And if it's if it's JavaScript, then learn just JavaScript. If you decide to go and learn TypeScript and Angular, then just work on that. Like do things that are required for you to get really good at this. And then when when you think you are really comfortable here, only then move on to some other hard thing because there's so many things to learn, right? You could just like... You could be chopping down 10 trees and never, you know, 
get to that one tree of, of knowledge. I, I call it a tree of knowledge, right? You're always chopping trees in the forest, never cutting one tree down. So don't do that. <laughs> so John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps. One of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? No, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, we're a consulting company. And, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue. But they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework data grid makes sense to you, please. Go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. Speaking of chopping trees down, one of the trees that you've climbed, chopped down, I don't know what the right expression is, but one of the ones that you've tackled is state management in this container presenter pattern uh, with Angular and other technology. Can you kind of uh, set the stage first on what what is this topic to you? Because you, you've talked about it a few times, I believe, um, both on social media and in some presentations. What is state management and, you know, explain it for our audience. Okay, so I work on, a, uh, for one client right now, they have, uh, they're using Angular to, um, to augment their CMS system with some additional, um, with some additional components on top of the software that they're creating. And one of the challenges is uh, we have, First of all, we have multiple Angular versions used uh, in, within the software. And the way we get away with it is we, every single component is actually a separate Angular application. So if it's AngularJS, it's, it's compiled kind of into the separate uh, application. It's loaded with the page with the web component. Same thing happens with Angular 8. And the same thing happens with Angular 10 because we're trying to move some new stuff into like um, a single page application um, architecture. And um, when they went from AngularJS into Angular 6, I believe, or 8, uh, they hired um, a consultant, let's say Microsoft, from Microsoft, for example. And he comes in and he's like, uh, you have a lot of state issues here, you know, you know, race conditions and whatnot. And one of the ways to solve them is to use this great library in JRX. Uh, so given that our manager was a forward-thinking manager, she, she said, okay, go, you know, get me a consultant who can implement it. So they hired me. So I come in there to I implement NGRX, and uh, it did solve a lot of issues. But what it also created is uh, this barrier to enter for other developers on the team. So they um, they looked at this code, and and to tell you the truth, it was my first project using NGRX, and um, and I come in with an open mind. You know, it's a challenge. I want to tackle it. And I want to use uh, best possible uh, ways of uh, 
of implementing it, but I don't really know exactly am I doing the right thing or, you know, or am I using it right? So I go and, you know, and meet all of the people who are writing in JRX, talking to them, getting some feedback, and I'm finding out that uh, uh, container presenter pattern is actually one of the ways that is going to help me to break down the code and, and, uh, and make our code cleaner before we even get to NGRX. So that's actually where my uh, refactoring journey started, where I come in and I'm like, okay, we have these huge components. There's no way for me to put NGRX in until I refactor into smaller pieces and we can easily manage this, uh, this code. Let's stop right there because I think you're saying something that's really important. Um, it start, I mean, in the, where it started with gigantic components. I see this over and over again in, in, in actually every technology, <laughs> uh, going back to web forms. Yeah, this is not an angular specific seen. thing. Uh, just that, uh, gigantic, whatever, um, uh, you got to tackle that right away. Uh, and it's so easy for it to grow into that one big thing. So regardless of your, whatever state technology you've got, um, it seems to me that there is some kind of trigger. I don't know. For 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 me, it's like three hundred lines. I don't know, but it doesn't. I'm, it's not a hard and fast rule. But I might. What did you see? What did you see? Like thousand line components? Uh, I came in to um, to to over a thousand lines of code in one component. It was basically um, a really quick take from uh, Angular JS code thrown into Angular, and then we'll refactor it later kind of thing. But, you know, there are deadlines. Later and never we, comes. <laughs> it doesn't come. And when I came in to implement NGRX, that was one of the first things. I'm like, I have to break this down. I cannot put NGRX into it until I break this down. And it at, the, at first, because this is, was the beginning of my um, contract, uh, you know, people on the team were taken aback. They were like, why are you refactoring stuff, you know, when it's working? Don't touch it. And, um, you know, I kind of have to give them the speech. And uh, out of this uh, experience came my talk about container presenter um, pattern, using it. Please use it. And, uh, and, you know, I kept sending the links to my teammates about this. <laughs> I really did it for them because uh, I wanted them to embrace that and to understand and this is going to help us in the long run. So how hard of a sell was it for you to, to get the refactoring done? Because I, I think... Like we're pointing out, this one critical first step is often one that you don't either don't get approval for or people don't take the time to do it. How hard was that for you? Um, to tell you the truth, uh, because I was new on that team, I kind of just did it and then I apologized <laughs> later kind of thing. Uh, going forward, I always presented it like, yes, I need to refactor it. It was on the, on the books and everything. But the very first component that I did I did get some pushback because I didn't really ask for permission. I just kind of went with the user story that was in front of me. I refactored and it took longer and it brought up, you know, a lot of hard feelings. People are like, why is it taking you so long? Instead of a week, you're like been doing this for two weeks. And, um, you know, I'm like, sorry, okay, I'll going forward. I will, you know, communicate it. But, uh, but after I did this, it was not a hard sell. It was understood that we have to do that, and the whole team was on board. I have a question for you about that. Um, so when you were doing that, because that this is something everybody faces when they need to go in. Uh, 
did you try and refactor a whole bunch of them or did you pick one component that was the target of the thing that they wanted to build and start refactoring there and just try and introduce it into one place? Or did you go, did you say, nope, gotta, gotta go across the whole stack? (laughs) Well, um, this was one page that one big component and I had, I was working on one change that had to, you know, have some styling or whatnot. So I just put, I just took a section that I could pull out as a new component. And then going forward, it was always like, okay, so this piece of code looks like like it could be a a new container component, a new presenter component. And I would always just take pieces at a time. Eventually, that component became more manageable. It still had a lot of styling between the other uh, child components, but it's, 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 I think it's like 80% smaller right now. But yeah, it's, I didn't take the whole thing. It was pieces of it. Yeah, I think that, that makes sense to me. It's, it's a tough sell to go in and say, I'm ripping out the guts of everything you've got. See you in a month. Yeah, definitely. I used to do that when I was younger. That's the way I approached things. Um, I worked with somebody who did that once, but didn't tell anybody, by the way. Yeah. And then you'd come in like after a long weekend and everything didn't compile and bam. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Those are fun days. Product managers and uh, scrum masters are usually very scared of of award refactoring. And I think on that first week or two of my, um, of that uh, job, I think I got yelled at (laughs) by one of them. (laughs) Did you have any tests to rely on or was it? It was no tests, no. <laughs> What's a yeah, test, You can't even Greg? call it refactoring if there's no test, right? <laughs> but, you know, I call it refactoring, even if there aren't. Yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, we all do. Uh, and we swear that we didn't change the functionality at all. Um, but, in fact, we do. Because uh, none of us are purists. But that's funny. No test. Yeah. Um, I I can't remember seeing a test in a in any existing code base that I've ever encountered in the real world. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and you've seen a lot of code. I've, I, I have a lot of clients. I've lived a few lifetimes and it is so, ri- I mean, there may be, you know, the whisper of a test, you know, like there's this sort of area of the code that has right. tests on it. It's kind of for show. Right. Uh, <laughs> Started oh, out yeah, strong. Tests, yeah. They're over there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I can, well, I can know, see that. Yeah. At Google, I have to admit they had tests, but that was about, you know, no, no sort of uh, normal enterprise operation. So tying so, together to two of the concepts that we've been, we're, we're brushing up against here, the mentoring and NGRX, which is kind of well known for being a little dis- difficult to grasp. And you, you even mentioned that here. If you were going to mentor someone into learning it, you know, who's unfamiliar, how might you approach that? My first question would be, do you even know Angular? If you, I mean, if you do know Angular, then I think it makes sense to learn it just so you understand how to manage state. Because there are other ways to manage state, right? And if you already uh, solved the problem of doing that, I think it's a, it's a gr- good framework. I think they have pretty solid code base that is even worth learning about, you know, different patterns and whatnot that they're using. Um, but yeah, it's in order to um, to actually learn NGRX, unless you have a good mentor, it's really difficult. Like for me, when I implemented it, I didn't really know. Like, did I 
follow the right steps? Did I, I mean, I know it works and I know it's really easy to fix bugs because, you know, you just change, you know, create an effect, uh, the action calls it, whatever it's, you change the state. Like it, it's easy to solve issues within your application. Uh, but if you, you know, if you don't really have anyone to look at your code and say, what, what did you, what did you do here? Like, for example, uh, when I was learning NGRX, I was also learning RxJS because I was, you know, I came from an API background. I was working on, working on APIs for the past like three years. My Angular experience was before that where I don't think, I think I was still working with promises when I was working on Angular back then. So I had like a little bit of a gap between my previous contract and this one. So I'm learning NG, uh, RxJS on top of it, and I'm doing a switch map, I'm using a switch map to get data, right, in one of my effects. And um, I, have a, I have an action that, that is fired on every item in the list. So it keeps firing, and on every consequent call to API, my API is getting canceled. And I'm like, why? Why is it getting canceled? Because I didn't know how to use switch map, or do I need to use a different operator? So, and I didn't know who to ask. So it's really difficult. You go to Stack Overflow and you ask them, "Why is my API getting canceled?" And unless you look at the code, there's, it's really difficult to understand like what kind of problem you're having. This is when we need some of Ward's audio things. So the sound you have, Ward, like wah 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 wah. You know. Right. And you go to Stack Overflow to answer a question, and. Thank you. And they tell, yeah, and they tell you like, yeah, read the previous call and see if it's different. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, and, and you know, who knows? So it's it's hot. It's really difficult. I think uh, to have to implement a framework like that, you really need someone who has experience, and only then you you add it onto your code base. Because to tell you the truth, after that one time that we've implemented, it's. You know, there was another project, and they said, okay, don't use NGRX. Just use RxJS. <laughs> and I think it, it, cre- it creates other problems. You know, like we, we do have now this facade service that kind of manages the state and all that, but I like NGRX better. It just, to me, it's cleaner, but I have to be flexible. I'm on a team. With, I have to, you know, I have to understand other people. Also have to work on this code base and... Just be respectful and move on. <laughs> Question. Did you ever look at NGRX data? I have looked at the NGRX data. But to me, it was, I couldn't use it because we have like, all, we don't just have entities, right? We have entities and there's other entities within that. And there's all these API calls calling for child entities. So I, I ended up like just skipping it completely. I didn't use it. So, so you, you end up shipping graphs of objects back and forth rather than a, a relational structure. Yep. That makes, that makes some sense. Yeah, Warb, why don't you go fix that? <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, uh, Ward and I played an active role in creating NGRX yeah. data. And it, you're right, it doesn't, solve, it doesn't solve everything. And that's one of the first things we pointed out when we put it together is, it helps with that basic entity model. But if you've got insurance application with customers and each customer has addresses and addresses have cats and cats have dogs and dogs have chickens, this whole object graph hierarchy, um, you're, you're almost getting into ORM land, gasp, 
in the cloud. Isn't that the uh, right word? Well, yeah. I mean, it depends on how your what your how your API is structured and how you uh, API is structured and how you want to deal with it on the client. And if you're always holding it together in some kind of a document structure, a nested map like that, <clears throat> then that's a different approach. And presumably when you're writing that stuff out, you're writing back a graph rather than individual. In other words, it's not relational in either direction when you're in your case. Okay. Yeah. In our case, um, because the amount of data for the children coming back is so large, there's no way to grab it all together. So it's like, if you click on one child and there's other children, then you have oh. to go grab it. And then there's, and these yeah. children are within a parent. So it's all, and then you can even go to the grandchild and there's more data to that and you have to go get it again. So, but yeah, I, I saw the, the video of all of the different options on plural side and I did study it. Well, well, we can talk sometime. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRx Redux on the front end, and .NET Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, Shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. You, you know, you had to get, and then you had to get the rest of your team to under, you know, to understand what that's on. And, and so you, you started with one problem, which was um, that there were race conditions and they didn't really have any way to manage state. And it, it feels almost like introducing regex. You know, you start with one problem and now you've got three. Uh, uh, what, uh, you know, cause now you got them to have to understand NGRX and RxJS. And I personally have found that people just don't get RxJS. So how did you cope? How do you cope? Well, right now, because we kind of stepped away from NGRX, it, it is still part of one code base and we're using RxJS and, um, and uh, I do code reviews, and I, you know, I just kindly, gently guide everybody to use RxJS. That's all I can do because it's very easy to just subscribe to your stream, put it in a variable, and you know, show it on the screen. On the screen, right? That's what the old way is, the regular way is. But if you think about observables, if unless somebody guides you through the steps necessary to to use the RxJS. It's very difficult. Just the same thing that I was telling about NGRX. You need that person over, overlooking what you're doing. And uh, I think we've been successful because there's really, it's, it's, I think it's simpler. RxJS is simpler than uh, NGRX because there's just one oh, yeah. place, right? There's sure. just one place. You have to get the data. 
And you kind of have to combine your streams in the right way and the kind of falls together. With NGRX, there's all these different pieces. Well, at least three, four pieces that you have to understand and understand that it's all observables and it's all talking to each other. So. Do, do people get over the hump for you of um, uh, subscribing and unsubscribing and knowing what operators to use and stuff like that and learning how to combine things? I, I find that, I, I you know... It's it's very it, unless people do that every day. Um, I have a hard time getting them to do that right. Yeah, when I see a subscribe, um, I really the only time I want to see a subscribe if we're doing some kind of update or delete right to an API. So if it's not that, I'm really looking to see why the person is subscribing. What is the reason for that? If you're not showing that data on the screen, then I don't know. Then there's so something you're driving, wrong. You're driving everybody to async pipe as much as possible. I am. I am. Yes. Oh, yeah. That, you know that's that's uh, um, that's right. Uh, if you can if you can bring it off, but then people wonder how do they do stuff like adding a new item. You know, they get there's lots of places where people get get hung up. How do they handle errors? Things like that. Um, yeah, I think we have a pretty good um, like. Uh, a, a bunch of examples that we've done for this one project where they can, if the, if I'm seeing something off, I go, I already did this in this place. Can you go take a look and see if, uh, if you can kind of go that route? And if not, then maybe we can talk through and, and, you know, I can explain this a little better because code doesn't talk. I can answer questions. But I gently guide everybody to follow one pattern. That's very difficult because you don't want to offend anybody, obviously. Um, but, um, you know, it's good to have standards on your team, coding standards, at least. <laughs> so, uh, you were in NGRX where immutability is one of the fundamental principles as you described yourself sort of walking back from that, but relying on RxJS, I was wondering if the immutability, if immutability carried along, uh, you carried it along. Um, because I will say that in my experience, that's another stumbling block for people who have forms-based apps. And, and I think yours is a forms-based app, right? That's correct. And uh, I think without immutability, you have all kinds of problems. And we definitely did bring it to, an, to our XGS implementation of state. And, um, you know, it's it takes uh, it takes a little bit of getting used to to actually create new instances of your objects when you uh, when all of a sudden it's not out of the box. You know, it's you actually have to consciously create a new object when you are changing something within the state of your application. If that makes sense. Well, it does, and let's get concrete for people, even though we can't show them the code. Um, let's say you have one of these nice objects coming out of your RxJS. You say, "Ta-da!" All right. Yes. You, you know, ta-da, here's my company and with its orders and order details, whatever. I'm, I'm just making that up. Um, uh, so you put that on the screen. It's great for display, but now they want to change an order detail somewhere deep down in that structure. You know, the natural thing for most of us traditional programmers is you've got a property, you modify it. Um, what's wrong with that? What are you going to make me do, Kate? What do I have to do to change the quantity on that order line item that's in an order, which is inside uh, the collection of orders that belongs to that company. What do I have to do, Kate, 
Tell me how easy that is. Well, you know what? I think uh, one of the first things that I look in the component in Angular, um, we set um, uh, the change detection to unpush. And if it doesn't change when something changed within the object, you know that you didn't change the reference to that object. And um, when you are creating a stream of objects that are, you know, that you do a sync pipe on, if you did, you know, if it's a list and you didn't do a dot dot dot, which is a spread operator, then it's you have you haven't changed the reference to that object. Basically. Okay, so you've told me how you punish me. You punish me because my, you know, but you haven't. You said. <laughs> Da, na, 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 na. It doesn't work anymore because I'm on push and now it doesn't update. All right. So I know I did it wrong, but you know, what's all the paraphernalia I have to do? You know, what are all of the, the hoops I have to jump to to actually do it right? Uh, because when we were just talking about there, by the way, the dot, dot, dot isn't going to do it. You know, that was deep. That, that order line item is inside the order, which is inside your, you know, right? So if you do, uh, if you do use a spread operator on the array, it creates a new array creates a new uh, reference to that array. Yes or no? Uh, sorry, uh, Siri was just talking to me. I did. I said something and Siri talked to me and I got completely lost. So Ed, Oh, great. I got to pay another co-host and, now. And, Siri's joining the podcast. <laughs> John, you're mute. No, he's not. I'm mute? Oh, you're not. He's not mute. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a new aged way to say, I don't want to hear what you're having to say, John? I love it, Ward. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Who's serious talking? Wow. I'm just going to say that from now on whenever I don't like what Ward's saying. <laughs> you're on mute, dude. You're on mute. <laughs> Pick yourself out and say that again. You know, I, the, the funny thing here is that's actually, that was actually quite funny word. I didn't know you had a sense of humor like that. So uh, we, we got to play into this a little bit more. Now, I think we were talking about the spread operator, right? So if you take an array with a spread operator, if I understand you correctly, Kate, you take an array, is, is it a shallow array or a deep array? Either one. doesn't matter. And then we use the spread operator and create a new thing. Is that what you're, you're asking about? Well, that's what Ward was asking about. Will it create a new reference to that array? I think it will. Yes, it will create a new reference to the A, but the objects inside the array are replicated. I mean, uh, not 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 deep cloned. They are simply their references are there. So, and so what I was saying was was in order to have gotten to make that change to the quantity in the light item that is buried deep within a structure, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to bring in some. You know, uh, some at least JSON parse or and uh, stringify and stuff like that to clone it or something, uh, and it just becomes an um, it just becomes one of those extra series of steps that people have to go through when they um, take on immutability. I think that was the larger point, point. Uh, and I just sitting here, you know. It's it's just one of those things that where immutability is one of those things that everybody says, oh yeah, it conquers problems, and I'm just sitting there and I'm I'm saying, look, I'm pretty good at this immutability stuff, and I'm going to tell you a little secret. It, there there weren't that many problems when I just modified the darn thing. I feel like we are saddling ourselves. Gosh, but I, Ward, if I if I modify five billion objects in one millisecond, isn't immutability better? I, I'm not sure when immutability is better uh, for these kinds of apps. I'm going to just say it. There, I said it. I came out and I said it. All right. I'm. I'm just. What about for undo? Uh, 
take me out and beat me. But I <laughs> find that that trying to maintain immutability is another one of those things uh, where uh, people stub their toe and they sneak it in when you're not looking. Uh, now, NGRX has these things where they'll check to see if you cheated and modified something in the store. But if you ban an NGRX, it's very easy for somebody to say, you know, I'm just going to change the quantity. And, uh, you know, then bug city because maybe somebody notices it, Kate. Maybe, you know, because you're on push, but maybe they don't. And weeks go by and suddenly they realize the quantity, you know, the thing isn't updating. So I, I'm, I'm pushing back to sort of say, I wonder if we're really, if this is just Kool-Aid, man. This is just Kool-Aid. Ward, what about performance? Isn't I Angular never, Have you ever had performance problems on a form? Ever. Ever. Think about That's it. That's a good point. That's a good point. I've I've looked at that on push thing. I and you, every time I've asked somebody to show me, show me the performance degradation. What they do is they bring out something that I never actually code, which is like a blinky game in which something you know, da, 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 and they say, "See, if everything on the screen is changing all the time, then y- your performance will really degrade if you're not using immutability." And I'm like, "Yeah, but you know what my screen really is? First name, last name, birth date." <laughs> it's just like it ain't gonna happen well, i think you're, you're tapping into one of the one of the problems we, we've talked about this uh in several episodes and and kate one of the ideas i think ward and i have been on the same page for years on is the longer we do this in this industry and we've been doing it way too long maybe <laughs> but uh, it seems like every new thing that comes out i actually want to learn less things not more. It's like we keep introducing new terminology to solve a problem somewhere, but they become mainstream. So all of a sudden, everybody like immutability. Everybody suddenly thinks immutability, reactivity, um, NGRX, whatever the words are, right? And these are different things, but everybody has to use them all the time. And I, f- I feel like when you're teaching, going back to mentorship, somebody newer into this industry, once they get onto social media or Dev2 or Stack Overflow or any place where a lot of people are talking, they start hearing all these terms. And I try to put myself in their shoes. I'm like, wow, when I learned this, I had to learn like what HTML and JavaScript and CSS were. Uh, now people are getting tossed out with, you're not a real programmer unless you do immutable reactive programming with some container presenter state management pattern. <laughs> I don't know, I'm making it up, but you know. Yeah. So I think that's the bigger issue, isn't it? That's the bigger issue. I had the same thing with reactive forms and template-driven forms. I had a you know a podcast where I try and argue that template-driven forms is vastly simpler, and there's nothing you can do in reactive forms that I can't do more easily in template-driven forms. I'm actually going to do a talk about that at uh, NGConf. Um, I think we are beating ourselves up with technologies that are wonderful for corner cases and just deadly for regular programs, which is not to say, Kate, that where you started there, when you walked into that company and they had, st- which is one of the things I want to talk about, you to talk about, is w- when you say they had race conditions and state management problems, they definitely did. I just wonder whether our solutions are appropriate. So eh, can you cast yourself back and say, what what the heck were their real problems? You, you described one, gigantic components that didn't make any sense. And you tackled that 
We all experienced that. But what were the race conditions that that sort of led you to say, you know, you guys have got it all wrong with state management. Let me fix it. What were their problems? Well, once you once you start breaking it down, then you have a component that changes data that is later on shows onto the like the other component, right? It's got to you know you change it here, but it's got to update here. Uh, it's you know it's got to match. You have you want to make sure that it propagates to where it's supposed to show the new values. But you're right. It's um, there's so many different ways to solve the this problem, right? That uh, I think this is kind of why we stepped away from NGRX, and um, and we're not using it in this new project, right? Uh, is because it's it's very complicated for many people. It's, it takes too much time. Like when it's when it takes too much time to learn something new, it's like your brain is like, I'm too tired. I don't want to do that. And I'm with you because I went I went from what, like ASP Classic through the through through all of these things with, you know, MVC Razor and then Knockout and all of these different frameworks until I got to Angular. So I understand it's 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 difficult to to know what is right. Like, am I doing the right thing here? So it's good to be flexible. Coming back to our original thing, right? But it sounds like the implementation that you've come up with works really well for your situation, though. Yeah, it's it's working right now. We're using RxJS because I think it's it's not that much stuff to learn. There's a couple of different operators that are just you have to kind of get used to them. But you know, we have a bunch of API get calls, and at the end, it's a post or it's a delete. That's it. Three different cases. Really easy to come up with scenarios on how to handle them. And you're probably not combining a ton of streams and building something out of the result of each one of them emitting, or because that's where people get confused. We have some combining of the streams of uh, like user interaction, right? The user does something, that's a stream of actions. And then it has to combine with uh, maybe a previous action that a user did and a call to an API. So it could be like maximum of three things that it's combining. Yeah, yeah. So not that hard to to grasp it. I have things in which they, um, I have some cases where I exceeded the mapping operator's ability to take um, um, another stream input. And so I had to combine, <laughs> I had to like combine five of them into one output and then pipe that as the new input into another stream combiner to combine it with five other streams. And that's when, that's when the head explodes. So I'm <laughs> glad you were able to avoid that. I think we had a, there was a tweet, I think just today about the number of RxJS operators that people use in one piece of code, <laughs> which my, my head did explode looking at that for sure. I really would like to get somebody on the show too, who uses RxJS for not Angular, like to talk to just plain JavaScript or Vue or React or Svelte or Ember or something else. Uh, I, I'd really like to get that perspective, like when you use RxJS outside of the context of Angular, what are you using? What are you not using? And so this is a call to any listeners out there. If you have any uh, thoughts about this, want to share them, please reach out to us on Twitter at the show. And uh, I'd love to chat with you about that because I think there's another perspective here. You know, it's 
RxJS is so deeply embedded in Angular that you really can't avoid it. So if you come to Angular and you've done something else before or have never done programming before, you're immediately thrown into RxJS. It's not just Angular. And I wonder if people who haven't done programming before come into Angular and start wondering, where is the boundary between RxJS and Angular? Like, are they the same thing? Are they separate? I can see how that could be confusing as, as you're developing. So, Kate, I want to ask you a question about your use of RxJS and Angular. Have you ever thought about using, let's, let's use HTTP, for example. Have you ever thought about, instead of using RxJS, using the promises that you could use with the HTTP client or maybe using the fetch library or kind of, kind of what are your thoughts on doing that versus using RxJS with, with Angular's HTTP? I want to tell you the truth. I've used promises when it was, I think, Angular 4, right? Uh, I don't remember much about it. I just think it seems very similar to what I'm doing right now with uh, RxJS. But what got me when, um, for a long time, I really thought that RxJS is this new library that I need to learn. And then it turns out that amid... uh, emit event, uh, what is it? Uh, event emitter is part of uh, RxJS. And it's like, well, that's not very apparent from the documentation that we're already using that. We don't even know about it. So it's, it's, it should be more clear for people who are starting out, like how, how close together Angular and RxJS. And it's not like it's the separate library that you need to use. It's almost, it's, it's becoming part of Angular and we just, what do we not embrace it word? What do we do? Do we just say like, no, we're not going to use it just because it's something new, you know? Because I remember people um, from back in the days, they're like, why are they doing all this interfaces and abstractions? Why can't we just use the if-else, you know? Like, can't we just like be in the if-else world? Like, why is all this difficult stuff? I'm going to go be a QA now. Too hard. <laughs> I've seen Although people I, actually do that, you know, career change just because it's becoming too difficult to learn. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're asking, the questions you, you just asked, I think a lot of us are asking, a lot of our listeners can relate to. It's uh, when, when does that line get so blurred that you're not sure, is it RxJS, is it Angular, do I care anymore? Like, why, why do I need all this and why do they have to be so together. And it's not to say that one's bad or or one's good. It's not that at all. It's just, I think it's very difficult today in a lot of the modern web frameworks, all of them, every one of them has their uh, dangerous swamps that you have to go through. And in each one, it's a different place. And I think one of Angular's is very truly the swamp of where Angular and RxJS meet. RxJS is immensely powerful, but do you always need all that power? That's kind of what I wonder, and I, I've, I personally feel less so these days in that area, and kind of wonder what our listeners feel about that. I think it comes back to your one of your mentoring things, Kate, also, right at the beginning of the show. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the things is that we're all afraid to be stupid, or like, if you don't know RxJS, you know, uh, if, maybe you're just not smart enough, you know, and... Uh, so a lot of us, uh, try and grab onto these technologies and sort of say, well, okay, yeah, let's do it. You know, uh, you know, mutability, let's see where we can go with that. And, uh, before you know it, we're talking ourselves into a corner. 
uh, because partly we're afraid to not be smart enough, to not be good enough to be in the trade. And I think you're doing them a service. We're all doing them a service. If we say, hey, you know what? We were able to program without all these things in the past. Some of them are good, but, you know. I agree 100% word. And I think um, this is where um, uh, people can kind of take from is you don't, you don't have to really dig deep to be, you know, to get started in programming. And um, you don't have to know everything because a lot, of, a lot of times, like for me, for example, I kind of fell into the stack that I'm in right now, right? It's now the, like right now I'm choosing my, uh, my next contract based on what I like. Like I like to work with Angular. I would like to continue to, uh, to give value in this area. But before, you know, I'm like, okay, just whatever job I can find, whatever, you know, pays well, that's where I go, right? And um, I think it's good enough. Just, you know, learn something. A lot of times, for, especially for new people who are just starting out, they might learn some, one thing in school, but then it, their first job could be something completely different. Because, you know, if I know that you know how to learn, I'll, you know, I'll take some time and I'll invest in you to learn a new framework. Because who knows where Angular is going to be in five years? Maybe not around. MVC was very popular. Everybody was getting paid top money for writing MVC code. They're all learning Angular and React right now. <laughs> if they're not, they should be, right? Because they want to be employable. That's good advice. And a great place for us to kind of transition into the end of our show, where we talk about our final thoughts for our audience out there. This is the part where we each share with our audience and our listeners something that we think is either um, a great place for them to start on the topic we talked about, or just something interesting that's going on in the world these days. And uh, one thing I'll share with the audience for our final thoughts is we have switched our podcasting software. Uh, this is the first episode we're recording with Riverside.fm. It's a new tool. So I wanted to give them a shout out. They've been super helpful in the chat for helping us get hooked up and running. So hopefully the audio sounds better this episode than it did in previous ones. Uh, we were uh, glad to make that switch. And the second thing we're adding, and this is too late in my opinion, but uh, and I'll lay this on myself, but we're going to do this now moving forward, is adding transcripts to all of the podcast episodes. So we're in the process of going through all of our episodes, which will take a while, and uh, getting these transcribed and then putting them up onto the website as well. So hopefully this is something that uh, we can continue uh, hearing feedback from from the listeners. And if you have any other ideas, please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, Kate, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Well, I just wanted to uh, welcome everyone who is interested in, uh, in mentoring for me to join my Instagram page. Uh, sometimes I go there and uh, I give some you know, tidbits of uh, wisdom. And I'm definitely um, there to help as many people as possible who are either starting out or just stuck in their career. And uh, especially women out there, because I think it's a great time to be a woman in technology. Um, I've been lucky to be very supported in my career of 20-something years, uh, sometimes being an only woman on the team. Many, many teams that I've joined, I was the only programmer there. Uh, but if uh, anyone needs a little help, a little support from me, um, I'll be more than happy to help. 
That's awesome. And we dropped a link into the show notes for how you can get to Kate's Instagram and other links that she has as well. So please check those out. Craig, what's your final thought for our listeners? I'd like to dive into this mentoring aspect even more. So I, I became a quote unquote professional developer when I got laid off from a web designer management type of job. And there, there was someone who was in my life who was there to answer questions, help make sense of the books that I was reading and, and really give me a leg up um, when I needed it. And so I always look for opportunities when I can help other people. And so I think that's important. And so I think it's good to ask good questions and also be available to answer questions as it goes along, because it really does make a, a significant difference in people's lives. And Ward, what are your final thoughts for our listeners today? Well, I'm going to stay on the mentoring thing. I, I think where Kate started about just providing confidence was the critical first step, and it needs to be repeated over and over again because um, confidence is what we are all losing <laughs> all the time. And that is such that is such an important mentoring tip. And I, I, I certainly... You know, all of what, all the people who mentor needed as much as the mentees. Um, and then when it comes to, to deciding how, what you want to do, because one of the other things I remember you were talking about early on, Kate, was like, should I be a manager? Should I be a te in the tech role? Should I get out of this altogether and do, you know, and walk dogs instead? Um, yep. <laughs> uh, and, and John and I have talked about opening a bar on the beach and just serving <laughs> pina coladas instead of everything else we do, which I really think is what we should, we should give up this podcast, John, and do that. Um, we should just but, switch the podcast to two guys on a beach drinking pina coladas. <laughs> that should be the new it. podcast. That's it. I love it. Um, I want to tag along too. So <laughs> you're all welcome. <laughs> all welcome. And you know what? We'd get a lot more viewers, John. We'd have more than the five viewers that we have today. Um, but anyway, I, I, in the show notes, I've added something that I mentioned over the time it was something I did. It was called designing your life. It's a book of some Stanford professors, but it's a book that said, what if you're it, the basic premise is what if your life was a product, a new, something you're bringing to market. There's a whole series of things that people who make new products steps, they go through to try and figure out what that product should be how it should present itself, whether it's a good idea or not. And so Designing Your Life, this book is, I highly recommend it, is a way to think, start thinking about your own life and the choices that you want to make um, as if it were a product. What is the Kate Sky product? What is the Ward Love product? It. What is the John Papa product? What is the Craig product? I think that's, it's a fascinating way to look at it. So it's in the show notes. Well, that's all great to hear. And I appreciate so much all of you guys dropping your final thoughts on us. And Kate, thank you so much for joining us today for this episode. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Was it so was fun. really great. I mean, we, we, we talked about a lot of topics here um, and actually titled this show A Tale of Two Topics, <laughs> Mentoring and State Management, because there, there was a lot covered. But I uh, really appreciate all of you listening to our episodes for all, over two years now and for joining us. And please check out the show notes. And if you have feedback for the show, please check us out on social media. And please check out Kate's links that she put into the show notes as well. Thank you all for listening to us for yet another week. You'll hear from us every week, every Thursday morning.